Hello. You know, when I went home and first mentioned to my family that it's really difficult to um, sit and bring a message without anybody sitting in front of you, that, you know, sitting in a, in a room alone and, and talking and pretending as though you're speaking to a group of people is actually quite difficult. And so, very helpfully, they said, well, maybe I should get a bunch of stuffies and put them in the chairs, and then I could just go to the pulpit and preach. And so, um, if you find that uh, helpful, um, you can just visualize me in the pulpit preaching to a bunch of stuffies. And uh, anyway, I found it quite amusing to think that, you know, in their attempt to be helpful, they thought that would be a, a good way to go about uh, making these messages a little less uh, drone-like. But in any way, I'll keep working at it. Hopefully it improves bit by bit as as we go through uh, these next few messages here. I titled this message uh, in my series on the life of Joseph, Life Isn't Fair, Deal With It. Uh, sounds a little bit harsh, but um, in some ways... Um, it's better to recognize the unfairness of life and keep going than it is to just give up. And so I'm not trying to be harsh, but um, I thought that might be a way to get people's attention. Last time we were discussing Joseph, I had titled my message, Some Things Never Change. Human nature hasn't changed. Satan's tactics have not changed. And God's solution has not changed. We, as human beings, are, by our very nature, not good. Satan takes advantage of our fallen nature and provides us with opportunities to excuse our sinful behavior by being victims of a bad situation. God's solution is singular. He will give us a new nature. He sent his Son, Jesus, to be in the flesh just like you and I, and in that condition... He was unfairly treated, tortured, and killed, and he never whined about being a victim. God vindicated him by raising him from the dead three days later and triumphing over sin. It is by recognizing and acknowledging our own sin and Christ's perfection and sufficiency that God creates in us a new nature. God liberates us and empowers us to live a life today that is pleasing to him by the same power with which he used to resurrect Jesus. Here are a few verses from Paul's letter to the Romans to encourage us. Romans chapter 6, verse 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Romans chapter 7, verse 4. Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ, so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead, in order that we may bear fruit for God. Finally, Romans chapter 8, verse 11. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Any excuses you may be tempted to provide to show you are being treated unfairly, 
seem to vanish in Christ. So let's read today's passage. Um, it's a little bit scattered. It's such a long area that I want to cover that um, we'll begin our reading in Genesis chapter 40, and um, you can follow along from there. Genesis chapter 40, beginning in verse 1. It came to pass after these things that the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief butler and the chief baker. So he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the prison, the place where Joseph was confined. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them. So they were in custody for a while. Then the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison, had a dream, both of them, each man's dream in one night, and each man's dream with its own interpretation. And Joseph came in to them in the morning and looked at them and saw that they were sad. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in the custody of his lord's house, saying, Why do you look so sad today? And they said to him, We each had a dream and there is no interpreter of it. So Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me, please. And then let's skip down to verse 20. Now it came to pass on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants, then he restored the chief butler to his butlership again, and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker, as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. And then just the first part of the first verse of Genesis 41. Then it came to pass, at the end of two full years, that Pharaoh had a dream. And then down for the last part, verses 8 through 16. Now it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. And Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was no one who could interpret them for Pharaoh. Then the chief butler spoke to Pharaoh, saying, I remember my faults this day. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me in custody in the house of the captain of the guard, both me and the chief baker, we each had a dream in one night, he and I. Each of us dreamed according to the interpretation of his own dream. Now there was a young Hebrew man with us there, a servant of the captain of the guard, and we told him, and he interpreted our dreams for us. To each man he interpreted according to his own dream. And it came to pass, just as he interpreted for us, so it happened. He restored me to my office, and he hanged him. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they brought him quickly out of the dungeon, and he shaved, changed his clothing, and came to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. But I have heard it said of you that you can understand a dream to interpret it. So Joseph answered Pharaoh, saying, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I'm just grateful again to spend time in your word. 
Father, I pray that your word would speak to anyone that's listening, wherever they are, that it would touch their hearts, that it would cause them to reflect on the person of Christ and how to serve him better. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Life isn't fair. Deal with it. Joseph chose good over evil. Remember when he was tempted by Potiphar's wife, he didn't just stand there and say no and and leave himself vulnerable in that position. He actually fled. He physically left this choice behind him so that it no longer um, plagued him. Of course, the consequences were there, but he had not done evil. He had not sinned in the sight of the Lord. And that's in Genesis 39, 12. And sometimes, you know, perhaps if you and I were writing the story, we would say something like the fact that he fled evil and chose to do good. God rewarded him with honor and riches and um, on and on it could go. But as we read this story, we find that his reward was a dungeon. If you think that making the right choice will always lead to happiness and prosperity, then life to you will seem constantly unfair. Listen carefully. Choosing good over evil is not for the faint of heart. It is never the easy choice. It's the choice at odds with everything our culture clings to. At some level, Choosing good over evil in today's society will leave you ostracized, separated from those that are around you. But it is worth it. We find that as we continue through the story of Joseph, there may be temporary suffering. But in the end, God blesses those that choose to follow him rather than to turn their back on him. We live in a world that's full of evil. Very often, the most common response, I suppose, to people that um, either don't like God or don't believe in God, they'll tell you to look around at this world, look at all the suffering, look at all the evil. And I there's a variety of different responses to that and um, and we don't go into those today but the only way man can make sense of evil in this world is if it was God on that cross 2,000 years ago God didn't just create man and, and set him on the earth and and watch him make poor choices and then suffer and suffer and suffer. God did not remain distant from human suffering. As a matter of fact, when he looked on the suffering of man, he chose of his own free will to partake of that suffering. Let's look at Philippians chapter 2 verse 8. Philippians chapter 2 verse 8. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even 
the death of the cross. After all Joseph has been through, there he was in prison. There he was suffering. And suffering unjustly. Suffering for something he had never done. After all of this, being sold by his brothers, on and on. You guys know the story. There he is in prison. Two men get brought in. And Joseph, in the midst of his suffering, took the time to notice the suffering of others. I find that so touching that here he is in prison and he sees that these other two men are distraught and he cares about why it is that they are distraught. He asks them then, why are you distraught? What, what's going on that, that makes you um, feel so terrible? And as we read, they each tell him that they had a dream and they couldn't understand this dream. I just want to pause here for a moment. I sometimes wonder what might have gone through Joseph's mind. He says right at this point, tell me your dreams. I think that it had, had it been me suffering in that prison, I would have been inclined to say, yeah, I had dreams once too. Forget it. There's nothing to dreams. Look where my dreams landed me. But that's not Joseph's response. Joseph's response is, tell me your dreams. And I think this response to these two men tells us that Joseph still believed in his own dreams. So long ago, as a young man, God had given him pictures of being a person in authority and having his family bow down to him. He clung to that. And so the fact that he was able to say to these two men, look, tell me your dreams, rather than forget about your dreams. This is their their absolute waste of time. Joseph still believed in his dreams. Do you still believe in your dreams? And I'm not trying to say some esoteric thing or some wishful thinking on your part. By dreams, in this case, I mean your encounter with God that gave you hope for the future. Because in that sense, that's what Joseph's were. They were encounters with God that gave him hope for the future. What about you? Do you still believe in your encounters with God that gave you hope for the future? Do you remember when you first became a follower of Christ? Do you remember the wonder you had for the gospel? How it transformed you? Do you remember your vision of eternity, your hope of heaven, your zeal to follow Christ because you knew what he could do through a life to totally committed to him? And now, reflect on your heart's condition now. Have you forgotten what it is that God promised to you? And you too find yourself in a dreary dungeon cell. I exhort you today. Wherever you are, make the best of it. Look around and see what you can do for hurting people around you. Put your hand to honest, hard work. Take on responsibility rather than just demand your rights. There are, after all, no rights without responsibility.
God never intended for you to stay in that dungeon. He is looking forward to the day when he lifts you up and brings you back into his glorious light and liberty. Those are the things that Joseph did. Joseph gave hope and truth to those who shared in his dungeon. Christ gave hope and truth to those who shared in his agony. Just as an aside, there is no true hope without truth. To the one, hope and restoration. To the other, only the harsh truth of the unforgiven. Let's read Luke chapter 23, beginning in verse 39. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But the other, answering, rebuked him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, Today you will be with me in paradise. So we see the parallels there between Joseph in his suffering and Christ in his suffering, and how they had two men that they had the opportunity to minister to. One received hope and restoration. The other, only the harsh truth of the unforgiven. After Joseph interprets the dreams, he makes a simple request to the butler who is to be restored. Joseph says to the butler, Remember me when you are restored. Christ remembers us, just like Joseph remembered the butler. Do we remember him? And so with a glimmer of hope, Joseph returns to his cell and waits. A day passes. Nothing. He doesn't hear anything. A week. He's starting to get a little bit anxious as to when the butler's words are going to lift him out of his dungeon. And then a month passes, and I'm sure after a month he's beginning to feel discouraged. And then a year. Nothing. It must have been very discouraging for Joseph. It must be discouraging for Christ when we forget him for a day and a week and a month and a year and we're not in his word and we're not talking to him and we're not meditating on who he is, not spending any time with him at all. Think of the heartache of Joseph in that dungeon. He had ministered to this fellow, had given him hope and restoration, and he was forgotten. And still, Joseph endures the silence for two full years. It's easy sometimes to dismiss the two years Joseph spent in prison because it passes in a blink between chapters 40 and 41. We read it, it takes two seconds to read, and two years later. But we all know it wasn't a blink for Joseph. It was day after day after day 
after day. Then Pharaoh has a dream. Have you ever asked yourself, what would have happened if the butler had remembered Joseph before Pharaoh had his dreams? There would have been no reason for Pharaoh to care that this interpreter of dreams languished in his prison. He might have just told the butler, that's Potiphar's problem, let him deal with it. What seemed like a waste of time for Joseph as he sat there waiting was a time of preparation in the eyes of God. But now, two years later, the butler does remember, and at about the age of 30, Joseph stands before the most powerful man on earth. We see that in chapter 41, verse 15 of Genesis. Everything rests on the next few moments in this Egyptian palace. Let's read 41, 15. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you that you can understand a dream to interpret it. Here it is. It's all come to this moment, all the suffering, the being sold by his brothers, the being betrayed, the lies that landed him in prison, being forgotten by this man he ministered to. It all comes up to these next few moments. Humiliation, betrayal, false accusations, prison time, here it is. Moments matter in God's economy. From the sin of Abraham to the guilty verdict of Christ to the sound of the trumpet, God often brings world history down to one single moment. And this is one of those moments. And so with the whole weight of human history resting on his shoulders, Joseph answers Pharaoh, I am not able to. But God. I don't know what I would have said there. Here's his opportunity. Yes, I can interpret your dream. Just let me know what it is. Of course I can interpret your dream. This is, this is why this has all come to this point. Not Joseph. A man of faith. Incredible faith. Pharaoh says to him, I've heard that you can interpret my dream. Joseph looks him square in the eye. I am not able to, but God. And the rejected son is given world power and authority. It's interesting when we read of what Pharaoh did for Joseph after Joseph interpreted his dream. And one of the things that he does is he puts Joseph in a second chariot to ride with him. That was not done in, Egypt, in, in Egyptian history. That was just not done. Pharaoh was a god in the eyes of the Egyptian commons. And as a god, he would not walk on the same dirt as the regular Egyptian folks. But what does he do with Joseph? He puts him in a second chariot lifts him up to high honor and authority. What will Joseph do with this power? 
Well, that's what we're going to talk about in the next message in our series. So thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you again soon.